All right, guys, we're back, and we are going to finish off the prelims with the main event of the prelims that should be on the main card, but I'm not mad at it. And it is in the heavyweight division with two of the biggest and best strikers, most powerful guys in the division ever in the history of the UFC. You have the number two ranked Francis, the Predator, in Ganu who holds a record of 14 wins and three losses, coming off back-to-back-to-back knockouts over Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, and Junior Dos Santos. Going up against the number six-ranked Jerzinho Rosenstrike, Biggie Boy, who's undefeated in his professional mixed martial arts career with 10 wins and no losses. Coming off a win, a come-from-behind victory in the last second of the fifth round against Alistair Overeem and a vicious knockout in the first round in the first 10 seconds of the first round against Alan Crowder and then one more knockout prior to that against Junior Albini Uh, guys this fight is unbelievable it was supposed to be the main event of UFC fight night Columbus obviously fight night got canceled but we got some of those guys on this card Um, when it comes down it comes to breaking down the fight I mean, you look at a guy like Francis Ngannou, and he people had thought that he was figured out, that people had found out, you know, the, the recipe to beat Francis was to wrestle him. Just wrestle him, get him tired, and you're good. He's not going to knock you out. He lost. Then he had that lackluster fight against Derek the Black Beast Lewis where everybody thought it was going to be absolutely fantastic, and it ended up being one of the worst fights ever, and nobody really did anything, and he lost the decision. Then he came back and... uh caught Curtis Blades with a vicious overhand right, jumped on him, got the finish, then fights Cain Velasquez. Early in the first round, Velasquez tries to push him back. He catches him with an uppercut, drops him, TKOs him, boom, first round. Then he fights Junior Dos Santos. I believe it gets to the second round. Um, He catches him with a right hand behind the ear when Junior's kind of off balance on the side and knocks him out. So Predator is back, and Jerzinho is a big, big you know, test for Francis, but Francis is an even bigger test for Jairzinho. Now, when you break down the fight, um, Francis is technical in his abilities. You know, he he keeps his hands up, and that's one thing that Jairzinho doesn't really do. He never keeps his hands up. Jairzinho kind of keeps his hands either at chest level or at waist level, drops them, and uh, usually will go like right hand, switches hips to lead left low kick. Um, he'll throw pity pat punches to set you up for a uh, for a bomb as you come in. Um, he's very good with that check left hook um, as you come in. He, he did it against Andre Orlovsky. Uh, as you come in, he steps back and counters you with that um, left hook. Let me just make sure. I believe it's a left hook. He might be a southpaw, but let me check this out really quick. Uh, hold on. See if I can pull this up, guys. Sorry, I just want to make sure. I'm pretty sure it was a left hook. It was a fadeaway check left hook as uh, as Andre Arlovsky tried to close the distance, and uh, he put him down with one shot right away. I mean, it was like right away in the beginning of the fight. Let's see. Should The whole full fight should be up on... Uh, yeah, here we go. So he goes like... Okay, so he is a southpaw. So it was a check right hook. Okay, that makes more sense. So Francis is orthodox, and Jerzinho is, you know, a southpaw. So he fades back, 
little bit uh, leans back on his rear foot and counters you with that right hook over the top as you try to close the distance. Um, he tried to set it up previously where he faked and then threw it, and then Andre committed, and boom, he caught him with that check right hook. Um, very, very good stuff here. Um, against Overeem, he, uh, he got taken down a lot and got controlled in the top position, which could be a problem, but he was able to pity pat against him. Just pop, 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 rip to the body, pop, 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 rip to the head, pop, 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 set up power shots, throw kicks to the head, kicks to the body. Both these guys can end the night with one shot right away. The fight could end in 10 seconds. The fight could end in 20 seconds. The fight could end in, you know, go the distance. Oh, I doubt it though. I do not see this fight going the distance. Um, we said that about Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou though, and look what happened in that fight. So to be honest, when it comes down to how I see this fight playing out, um, Jerzinho does have a tendency to get hit. Yes, he's technical, more technical, I believe, than Francis. Even though he doesn't keep his hands up, I feel like he has more weapons than Nganu, and he uses more weapons. One thing you've seen Nganu implement a lot was low kicks, and that's uh, that's Jerzinho's wheelhouse. That's Biggie Boy's wheelhouse. He's very good at outside low kicks or uh, throwing the right hand or throwing the left hand to the right outside low kick to then set you up for a left hand as you come in. Um, I think on volume alone, you got to give the advantage to Jerzinho Rosenstrike. In power, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to give the advantage to Francis, because, you know, if he touches you clean, he's probably going to knock you out unless your name's Stipe Miocic. So, it, and that's just everybody he fights. It's not, I mean, Stipe pretty much tired him out with the wrestling and used slick head movement in boxing to beat him. Uh, but I think that Jerzinho has the ability to knock out Nganu. But I'm going to go with Francis. I, I got to go. I picked uh, Jerzinho to win at first. It was my, he was my big upset for the card. But I'm going to change, I changed it. Because I just think that if Francis only has to hit you once. Jerzinho does only have to hit you once as well. But I think that Francis can hit you from such weird angles. So can Jerzinho though, man. This is this is why this fight is so hard to predict. Because anybody, whoever lands first could knock the other guy out. It doesn't matter if Francis lands first. It doesn't matter if uh, Rosenstrike lands first. Either guy can knock the other one out. I think Rosenstrike has more weapons. Like I said, I think he uses more weapons, which could be a problem for Nganu if he's able to manage the distance and keep Nganu at range and kind of pick. If he uses pity pat shots and gets Nganu to freeze up a little bit, I think he can win a decision or maybe set up a knockout. Um, but I think Francis is going to catch him. I mean, he got hit against Overeem a few times in that fight. Um, got countered with or got hit with some good right hands. And if Francis catches you once, um, he can knock you out. He's very good at getting that outside foot um, to then set up the right hand or the left uppercut like you saw against Overeem. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Francis. I'm going to go with a first round knockout. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to go with a first round knockout. I have to. I, I just got to do it. Uh, so Francis Ngannou to win via first round knockout for the Predator handing Biggie Boy Jerzinho Rosenstrike his first loss. Um, like I said, my first pick was Jerzinho, but just something told me to pick Francis. Now let's move to the main card, the meat and potatoes of the entire event. First up, in the featherweight division, the number seven ranked Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens, who holds a record of 28 wins, 17 losses, and one no contest, versus the number nine ranked Kelvin Cater, who holds a record of 20 wins and four 
losses. This is a phenomenal fight. You guys have heard me sing Kelvin Cater's praises multiple times on the podcast. I did a technical breakdown on him back in the day. I picked him to beat Zabit. Um, I think he could have, but I watched the fight again, and I did give the fight to Zabit Magomed Shadipov. But if it was a five-round fight, I guarantee you that uh, Francis, or uh, Kelvin Cater would have finished Zabit. You know, Jeremy Stevens had a decent performance against Zabit as well, but uh, not as good as Kelvin Cater. Cater knocked out Lamas at UFC 238 with a beautiful left hook to a right hand, just a 3-2, just bop-bop. He has phenomenal boxing. Really good uppercuts, really good ability to manage range and control the distance. Um, one thing you see that is a problem for Kelvin Cater in the fights is low kicks. He seems to have kind of taken uh, the initiative to get better at it and not just use that pullback leg defense that didn't work against Hanato Moicano and it led to him getting pieced up with the low kicks. But against um, Zabit, he didn't get hit with low kicks too much. And same thing against Ricardo Lamas. So uh, Kelvin Cater just has very, very crisp boxing. Some of the best boxing in all the professional mixed martial arts. Really good 3-2 lead hook to a right hand. He'll set it up 3-2 to the body, 3-2 to the body, 3-2 to the head, 1-2. He'll let you step in. He'll pull back and throw that uppercut. He'll go 1-2 hook, uppercut, uppercut on the lead hand. He did it against Sabit. It was uh, or against... Uh, Shane Burgos as well. He'll till time you coming in rear uppercut switches weight to his lead foot lead uppercut. Um, when you're t- when you're talking about Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens, he has very good low kicks. Like I said, that could be a problem for Kelvin Cater without a doubt. Um, really good, uh, decent striking, you know. But he has very solid power. If he connects clean on your chin, Jeremy Stevens can put anybody to sleep. Um, but when it comes to technical ability and ability to manage and control range and control the distance and use footwork and fakes and feints to get in and out, I got to give the advantage to Kelvin Cater. I mean, I don't see a reason why you would give the advantage to Stevens. I think Stevens can definitely land. He could try to land that left hook or try to come in and land that right hand to that left hook like he did against uh, Josh Emmett or land that overhand right as uh, Cater circles away like he did against do Ho Choi, but I just think that Kelvin Cater is is going to beat him, and I think he's going to finish Jeremy Stevens. You don't see Jeremy Stevens getting finished. I don't think he's ever been finished in the UFC or in his career overall. Um, but I think he loses. I think that Kelvin Cater is going to be the first guy to put Jeremy Stevens out, and uh, it could look similar to the fight that he had against Lamas. I think he'll use a lot of shots to the body. I think he'll try to time. Um, Jeremy Stevens coming in. I think he'll use his hands to uh, control the range and occupy the hands of Jeremy Stevens and then step in three, two, step in one, two. And then if Jeremy tries to come in and close the distance, come in with that uppercut up the middle. Um, I could see a similar finish to what happened against Shane Burgos, where he was coming in, boom, he caught him with an uppercut, came in again, boom, caught him with an uppercut and dropped him. But I think he's just going to have too many weapons. I think he's going to land on Jeremy Stevens at will to the legs, to the body, to the head. And I think he's going to set up that 3-2 that he did against Lamas. Boom, boom, catch Jeremy Stevens, drop him, and uh, get the TKO finish. I'm going to go with Kelvin Cater to get the win via a second round. You know what? No, we'll go third round TKO. I think it'll be close. First round, Kelvin will try to start to pick up on the patterns and the timing and the combinations of Stevens and then finishes him off in the third round. 
Up next in the welterweight division, you have the number 13-ranked silent assassin, Vicente Luque, who holds a record of 17 wins, 7 losses, and 1 no contest, going up against Nico, the hybrid price, who holds a record of 14 wins, 3 losses, and 1 no contest. Um, This is a rematch. I believe Vicente Luque got the win the first time. Let's check that out really quick. Uh, Hold on. Vicente Luque. Let's see. Fights. So he, hold on a second, beat Mike Perry, lost to Wonderboy, which was a fantastic fight. We'll talk about that Wonderboy fight as we get into the predictions. Um, beat Derek Krantz, beat Brian Barberina, beat Jalen Turner, beat Chad LaPreece. Beat Nico Price. Yeah, okay. So he beat Nico Price via submission. I think it was a Darce choke. I could be wrong. And that was at UFC Fight Night 119. Brunson versus Machida. I think he caught him in a Darce choke. That's one of Vicente's best weapons is that Darce choke or the Anaconda choke. But honestly, man, this is a great fight. Really, really solid fight. I mean, Nico Price is going to come to fight and he's going to push you back. He's not technical by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a phenomenal fighter and he's very, very good and he does not quit. He'll push you back. He'll throw high kicks off the lead leg, off the rear leg, switch stances, try to push you back, try to catch you with knees as you come in, catch you to the body, catch you up top. Um, I think he can get into a brawl with Vicente Luque, but I think if you look at the Brian Barbarina fight, um, that was a really close fight for both guys. I think Barbarina was probably ahead on the scorecards, but Vicente Luque found a way to win. He stayed patient. He found a way to win. And he's very good in the pocket. He's very good at coming in close, covering up, landing that overhand right, covering up, landing that left hook. He did a cover up and uh, a cover counter left hook against Bilal Muhammad as Bilal tried to throw the inside low kick. He threw like a right hand to an inside low kick. Um, Vicente covered and countered with the left hook against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's one of the best strikers in the UFC and definitely in the welterweight division. He had good success in that first round, um, switching stances from orthodox to southpaw and uh, getting on the outside foot, bop, bop getting off, you know, slipping side to side, you know, coming in close to Wonder Boy against the fence and trying to land that overhand right and then catching him with the overhand right as he circled out against the fence because he knew that Wonder Boy was going to probably going to fake and circle the one way. Um, good low kicks here from Vicente Luque, good calf kicks. He's very good at jabbing to outside low kicks or to inside low kicks, but mainly on the outside of the leg. Um, I think that Nico Price definitely has a chance. I think he can catch him. Coming in, I think he can catch him with a knee to the body. I think he can catch him um, just really in close and in tight, but that's where Vicente Luque thrives. He's good from range, but he's also good in close. And I think he can cover up, catch Nico Price at will later on in the fight. I think the first round is going to be crazy. It might be one of the best first rounds of a fight we've ever seen. Like I said, Nico Price has the ability to just make it a dirty fight, a grimy fight, and just put you into places you don't want to be. I mean, he has an up kick knockout finish. He has finishes with uh, hammer fist from the bottom and stacked guard against the fence. I mean, he has finishes like that up kick against James Vick. 
just crazy, crazy finishes. This guy can finish a fight from anywhere. So Vicente Luque is going to have to mind his P's and Q's. But I think Luque is too sharp, too clean, and too technical for a guy like Nico Price. He trains at uh, Hard Knocks 365 with Henry Hooft and uh, used to train at the Black Zillions. So he's very good, and he's very good at covering and countering. He's really good at, you know, the low kicks are amazing for him, the calf kicks. I think that's going to be a big weapon against Nico, but I think he's going to catch him at will, and I think that Vicente Luque is going to get a TKO. I'm going to go third-round TKO. I think it's going to be an insane fight, but I just think Vicente Luque is too sharp, and he's cleaner, and he's cleaner than Nico Price and is, is more comfortable in firefights, and he's going to catch him probably with a left hook or um, I could see him catching him and then trying to jump on a submission, like jumping on a Darce choke or dumping on, jumping on an arm triangle or an anaconda choke. I could see him definitely doing that, but I think he's going to catch him on the feet um, with that left hook or the overhand right, drop him and finish him. So I'm going to go with Vicente Luque, the silent assassin, to get the win via a third round TKO over Nico, the hybrid price up next in the heavyweight division. You have the Prince of war, Greg Hardy, who holds a record of five wins, two losses and one, no contest going up against Jorgen DeCastro, who's six and oh undefeated in professional mixed martial arts. Um, I'm not going to spend any time on this fight because we have to get in, get into the co-main and the main event. Um, honestly, I think that you look at the performance that Greg Hardy had against Alexander Volkov and you see that he does belong towards the top of the division, maybe not the top five, but he belongs there. He belongs, not top three, maybe top five, top six. And uh, Jorgen DeCastro is good. He has a good right hand. He can catch you coming in. He's a good kickboxer. He's undefeated, but I think Greg Hardy um, is going to get the win here. I think he's going to pick him apart. I think he's going to try to fight technical and uh, not get into a brawl against a guy like Jorgen DeCastro. And I think he's going to uh, get a decision. I think it'll be a close fight, but I'm going to go with Greg Hardy to get the win via a unanimous decision. Up next, we move. <coughs> Ugh, sorry guys up next we move to the co-main event of the evening a rematch from the UFC 237 card with two former strawweight champions up first the number one ranked Jessica Andraj versus who holds a record of 20 wins and 7 losses versus the number two ranked um, former reigning defending strawweight champion holding two wins over Joanna Yunzhechek, who just went to war with the current champion, Weili Zhang. That is Thug Rose Namajunas. I'm so excited for this rematch. Um, you look at the first fight, and, and Rose was basically picking her apart. Um, throughout the entire fight, her footwork, her range management, her one-two, her angles after the one-twos were unbelievable. She was constantly moving in and out, in and out, jab, in and out, jab, jab, one-two, one-two. Check left hook as Andrade came in to get the outside angle and just kind of get off on the angle as they come in. Just bop, throw that left hook. Boom, left hook, left hook. Um, and then when uh, Andrade was getting in close early on in the fight, she uh, tried to lift Thug Rose. Thug Rose went into an uh, like a like a uh, I'll call it an elevated crucifix or a standing crucifix position. Andrade tried to throw her off and she almost got submitted with an armbar by Thug Rose. Then she uh, tried to take her down again with a high crotch lift takedown. Andrei, or, uh, Thug Rose got a hold of the wrist around the arm in a Kimura grip and was able to uh, 
I think that's when she transitioned to the armbar. They were in that high crotch position. She grabbed a hold of the uh, the Kimura grip on the wrist, got it into a elevated crucifix position from the back, and then as Andrade tried to throw her off, she tried to go for an armbar. The second time, um, after Andrade was able to have success with shots to the body and low kicks, she was really good at getting in close, trying to rough her up to the body. I think if Andrade wants to win, she has to just get in her face right away. Don't even try to fight at range. Get in close. Try to rip to the body. Rip up to the head and uh, try to go for a takedown. I wouldn't recommend going to the ground with Thug Rose Namajuna. She is a very, very decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. But honestly, when it comes down to it, if that slam didn't happen, I'm not saying Andrade couldn't have won because, like I said, she did have success. But And it looked like Rose was slowing down a little bit. But Thug Rose looked the best she's ever looked in that fight up until the slam. I mean... The, the range management, the distance management, popping the jab, popping the jab, faking and fainting, one, two, slip, one, two, roll, in and out, check left hook, check, le check left hook, low kick, one, two. The one, two was was fire from Rose Namajunas. There was no fat in the movement. Everything was crisp. Everything was clean. And I think that the time away for Namajunas, I think she is, has had time to you know reflect on her career and reflect on everything that's happened in the world and really just find peace and get ready and get back to that Zen mindset. And I think that she has found a way. I think she's going to come back and look the best we've ever seen her. I think this is going to be the best thug Rose. Obviously Andrade is coming off that loss to Whaley Zhang early in the first round. I think that thug Rose is going to come out and it'll look very similar to the first fight aside from the slam and aside from Andrade being able to get in close. I think that she might get in close once or twice, but I think she's going to fight off at, that uh, Rose is going to fake and faint. She's going to stutter step in, fake it, ba-ba, one, two. Stutter step, come in, ba-ba-ba-ba, and then move, and then move, just slick. Slick movement, jab, jab, check left hook to get on the outside angle. If Andrade tries to come in, boom, boom, slip off, angle off the fence. So she's just chasing a target she can't catch. And I'm going to go with Thug Rose Namajunas to get the win via a second round submission. I think she drops her with the hands, um, gets on top of her, takes her back, sinks in the rear naked choke and gets that submission and sets up Thug Rose versus Magnum Whaley Zhang for the Strawweight Championship. I'm so excited to see Thug Rose back. All respect to uh, the former champion Jessica Andrade, but I just think Thug Rose is going to be on another level in this fight, and uh, I think she's going to pick her apart. So I can't wait to see it, but yeah, Thug Rose Namajunas via a second-round submission after she drops her with the hands. Then, in the main event of the evening for the interim lightweight championship of the world, you have the number one ranked lightweight, Tony Elkakui Ferguson, who holds a record of 25 wins and three losses, going up against the number four ranked, Justin the Highlight Gaethje, who holds a record of 21 wins and two losses. You know, this is a fight, obviously, we wanted Ferguson versus Khabib. We wanted that fight. We've wanted it for so long, and we haven't got it. But this is the next best fight you could make. And, you know, everybody's saying, oh, well, Justin on short notice. He never takes short notice fights, but he took this fight. And he took it for a reason. Because he knows that he can connect on Tony Ferguson. He knows he can hit him. He knows Ferguson's hittable. And he knows he only has to land one or two clean power shots to put you to bed. Now, I broke down Tony Ferguson at nauseum in the uh, Boogeyman on Eagles Wings Habib versus Ferguson breakdown. If you have not listened to that, 
listen to it now. I think even though the fight's not happening currently, it might happen down the line. And uh, I think you guys would enjoy that. But when you look at both fighters, I mean, Tony Ferguson is, uh, is a little bit more awkward than Justin Gaethje. Uh, he doesn't really keep his hands up. He more tries to deflect punches off of his arms and pull back, pull back his head and try to slip punches or use that jab um, to keep the opponent at range. I think that's what Tony Ferguson is going to try to do here. I think he's going to try to use that jab. He's got a six inch reach advantage. Um, it's a 76 and a half inch reach for Tony Ferguson and a 70 inch reach for Gaethje. So that's a six and a half inch reach advantage. The best way to use your reach advantage is to use long range kicks Teep kicks up the middle and use your jab and move fake and faint. You know, one thing that uh, Justin Gaethje is, is very good at is crowding the opponent up against the fence and also throwing low kicks. He has very good low kicks from both feet. Lead leg low kicks are amazing, and the right low kicks just chop the opponent down. And uh, I think it's going to be a good weapon against a guy like Ferguson. I think the low kicks worked for Pettis against Ferguson, um, they worked a lot very early in the fight. Eventually Pettis or uh, Ferguson was able to pick up on it and, uh, change up his game, but they worked. And if they work in one fight, they're probably going to work in another fight. And, uh, I think, I think that, uh, Ferguson is good in, in various aspects. I think he has better jujitsu than Justin Gaethje, but not better wrestling. I think they're both amazing wrestlers, but I think the wrestling will cancel each other out. And Gaethje said in an interview, um, let me see if I can pull up the exact quote because I posted it on my Snapchat. So what it said was, Gaethje said, I'm going to attack his body. I'm going to attack his legs. And then whenever he's worried about those, I'm going to punch him in the head and hopefully he goes to sleep. If not, he'll probably, he's probably going to cut me up with some elbows, probably choke me out if, choke me out late in the fight if I don't put him to sleep. But, he, but that wasn't the quote I was looking for. I was actually looking for another quote where he said, I have 18 minutes of hell in me. I can go hard and push myself for 18 minutes out of the 25. And he thinks that he can catch him before those 18 minutes are up. And after that, he'll get tired. And that's when Tony would be able to uh, push the pace and, uh, you know, put it on Gaethje is what he's saying. And I believe that. I 100% believe that. I think that Ferguson never gets tired. He never gets tired. But he does get hit a lot. Um, he lost to Michael Johnson. Uh, Gaethje finished Michael Johnson. He lost, He beat Barbosa via submission. You know, Gaethje knocked out Barbosa in the first round. Um, Gaethje lost to Poirier. Ferguson hasn't fought Poirier, so you can't really use that as an excuse. But... One thing that does worry me for Gaethje is obviously he doesn't have a full camp coming into this. He's coming in on about two weeks notice, um, short notice to fill in here. But he said that he has been training and sparring and getting ready. Um, not that he knew he was going to fight, but he was getting ready to be ready for a fight if one of them were to fall out. So he's not coming in off the couch without any training. Gaethje has been training and he's been sparring. And sparring leading up to a fight is very important. You don't need to. You don't need to spar, but it's important to do it. And I think that getting those sparring rounds in prior to the fight, and he's already cutting weight, he's already dropping weight, you know, he's not going to have a huge weight cut ahead of him. Um, he's going to be ready, and he's going to be calm. He said he's nervous. He said he's very nervous. He's freaking terrified, but he loves it. Justin loves the chaos. Um, I think that uh, you look at the fight against Pettis, like I said, and 
Pettis was able to catch him. He was able to land low kicks against Ferguson. Gaethje's one of the best at landing low kicks. He was able to catch him as Ferguson came in because his hands were low. He was able to catch him with a kick pull back to a counter right hand. I don't see Gaethje trying to throw that shot, but uh, I do see Gaethje catching Ferguson and putting him to sleep. Um, like I said, I explained the grappling. I think that Ferguson has better cardio. I think he has more weapons. But I think that the wrestling of Gaethje will cancel out. I think they'll cancel out each other's wrestling. And I think that um, Gaethje closing the distance, you know, you don't, Ferguson's usually the guy to push the opponent back. And I do believe he will push for, uh, Gaethje back, but I think Gaethje will be calm in the pressure and being able to uh, slip and roll and try to counter with overhand rights. I think that that's what Pettis landed on Ferguson was a counter overhand right as Ferguson tried to land a kick. I think that for, that Gaethje can do the same thing. I think Ferguson could try to land a teep kick or a knee up the middle, and Gaethje could cover up, close the distance, and land a bomb on Tony Ferguson. Or he could get him up against the fence, try to land some shots as Ferguson circles off. Boom, a left hook. Um, the elbows are going to be a big factor for Tony Ferguson if they do get into close range. But I just think Gaethje is going to catch him here. I've said it. A bunch of times prior to this fight getting announced, I think that Gaethje and Poirier are the toughest matchups for Tony Ferguson in the lightweight division. And I, I just think that Gaethje just has a kryptonite where he's going to be able to catch Ferguson. Obviously, both guys have their chin up and uh, do get hit a lot, but Gaethje has learned to stay patient and not be as aggressive in his last two or three fights. He's learned to move in and out of range and fake and slip shots and really just move in and out instead of just walking forward like a zombie. And I think that's going to draw out attacks from Tony Ferguson and allow uh, Gaethje to counter. And I'm going to go with Gaethje to get the win via, I'm going to go a third round knockout for Justin Gaethje, the highlight to uh, become the new interim lightweight champion and set up a fight with Habib Nurmagomedov down the line. Um, I know a lot of guys aren't going to agree with me, but I got to go with Gaethje here. I just see I just see too many holes in the defense on the feet of Tony Ferguson, and I think he's going to get caught. And yeah, so Justin Gaethje to knock out Tony Ferguson in the third round and go on to fight Habib maybe at International Fight Week. Um, thank you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this breakdown of UFC 249. I can't wait. It's one of the best cards uh, that the UFC could put on, and it's one of the only fights we're going to be able to see. The Touch Em Up podcast is available anywhere audio podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and more. Um, thank you guys for listening. Get it out to your friends if you'd like. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right, and enjoy 249.